Welcome to the Recruiter Ricky podcast with me, Ricky Martin, on behalf of Hyper Recruitment Solutions. This podcast has one simple vision. We want to help you get hired and we want to help you get hired more successfully. To do so, I'm going to interview a number of business heavyweights who have set up companies, grown companies, but most importantly, developed and supported their talent to do so. They've looked at numerous amount of CVs, conducted an extreme amount of interviews, and onboarded a number of candidates into their companies throughout that process. Firstly, if we can establish who they are and what they do, we can then secondly look for what stands out in a CV. What do they look for when they're interviewing? And how does a candidate actually act to be the candidate they thought they were during the interview? So enough about me, enough about this podcast. Let's go over to one of my guests now to unearth more secrets, more tips, more advice on how to get hired. Hey everyone, this is Ricky Martin and this is the Recruiter Ricky How to Get Hired podcast. I'm joined by two guests today who we've been trying to get on the podcast for a little while and I've finally been able to lock them down during lockdown to get some time in the diary. So I'm joined with the founders and managing directors of the Couture Club, which is Ross and Scott. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. What a story you both have to share. I mean, you would agree, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're supposed to go with Ross. <laughs> your, your enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, there's a slight delay there as well, but no, yeah, it's been an unbelievable journey so far, and I feel like we're only just really getting started. I feel like we've both myself and Scott, we're finally starting to understand and learn a lot of things. Whereas for the past few years, we've probably um, got where we've got to by just just putting the hours in, working hard, and getting there. Whereas now we're starting to really understand the business and, and grow it properly. You know what, my, my FD has been chasing me the last couple of days saying, have you got an exit plan? Have you thought about bringing a non-exec director in so you know you can really build it up? And it's like, for us, the journey's not even started yet. Yeah. So I know we're five, it was our fifth year birthday the other day, but we're nowhere near ready to let go yet. So it's like, the exit plan for me has got to be another 10 years yet at least. Every FD and NED is going to say to you, if you don't have a plan and the structure of where you're going, how do you know where to go? That said, as an entrepreneur, I started mine in 2012, so just a couple of years before. The excitement of having a child is not knowing how it's going to grow up, right? The excitement is, I'm going to to help it go somewhere. The minute you put it into a process is the minute actually it becomes maybe a little less exciting until you're ready. So I'm with you on that one, Scott. Keep nurturing your child. Yeah. Um, Keep... It's difficult. It's difficult because as soon as somebody says, what's your exit plan? You think, I'm not even ready to exit. So my mind's not even thinking that way at all. Do you know what I mean? Ask me what my growth plan is and, and then we'll sit down around the table. But as soon as you put the word exit in it, it's like I'm having too much fun on this journey to even think about it. Let, let's, let's get some context to anyone that's listening in terms of who you guys are and what you've done. So four, five years ago, you guys had an idea. You guys met prior in the nightclub scene. Is that right from, from looking at my research? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I used to spend a lot of time in Marbella working in nightlife over there and Scott pretty much ran the biggest night in Manchester. So when I used to come back in winter, uh, we used to just work together on, in the nightlife scene and that's really how we, I suppose we built up a lot of our contacts as well. So um, as you're going out a lot, you meet a lot of people, don't you? And we've kind of mm-hmm. now managed to use a lot of them contacts that we built to help promote the brand, obviously, and, and now a lot of them are customers because they're still going out and things. So what stage should you get to it thinking, okay, so you've got running a, man, a nightclub in Manchester, being on the Marbella nightlife. At what stage should you sit down thinking, do you know what? We've got some great brains here, some great contacts. We're creative. 
we can create a global fashion brand. At what, what stage did you sit down and say, Let, let's go for it? It was a bit of a strange one, really. That's, I was, because I was going out a lot, I was about to go on TV doing a reality show. And at the yeah. same time, Scott was setting up another business. So from my side, mine was the fact that I was going on TV. I knew I was going to be able to put some, wear something on TV that could mm. get pushed. And also when it was going to wear, I'd have a bit of a platform to, to start a business. And Scott was like supporting me alongside that, saying, you need it. We need to get it sorted before it airs. Just sort of once you've launched something, so it's not kind of like you've been on TV or decided to do something. It's kind of like there and ready. Obviously, behind the scenes, things take a lot longer than I think it was like six, seven months of sampling that didn't yeah. work out. Probably even a lot longer. But then at the same time, Scott had another business that he was running, so I let him talk about that. Yeah, so I, I was import exporting selfie sticks and going to China and sourcing products and stuff like that. Um, so we were selling to like Selfridges, uh, Harrods, Costco, all, all the UK retailers. And then obviously me and Ross was, were always very friendly from, from the nightclub stuff. And then, like I said, Ross knew that he was going to have a platform in the next six to 12 months. And I was sort of really pushing him to say, listen, Ross, when you go on the TV, the platform needs to be ready. So it's more sellable for the minute that you get out rather than it being a three or six month lag from you leaving yeah. to them pushing a product. So we worked really, really hard in, in that six month period and we, we'd sorted a lot of stuff out in the background. We did some shoots. We, we got our product to where it needed to be. Didn't have huge finances. I think we started with 5,000 um, pounds. So, you know, we didn't have huge finances, but then back then, like Ross will tell you, um, it was quite easy to sort of get your products out on the market before Instagram really was sort of a paid channel. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant back then. Like, for example, I'd, nowadays, everyone's pretty much getting paid on Instagram. Whereas yeah. back then, it was like unheard of to even get a free T-shirt from a brand. So it was kind of like amazing. So me going on TV as well helped to meant that everyone that I met on TV was also going to have a following as well. So they were just happy to receive like to receive like products and, and help promote as well right from the off. And then I was also getting introduced to other people from different TV shows, yeah. and it kind of spread really easily. And again, from the nightlife stuff, we knew quite a few footballers and different people to help us. So back then, the costings of giving a T-shirt away was pretty much you price your products and the shipping. That was it. Whereas obviously now there's a lot more finances involved and things, so it was a lot easier to set up back then. But it was brilliant because Scott had a warehouse for his selfie sticks. And at the time when I was like, really like just the very basics, I just had a little desk in the corner with a printer and, <laughs> and used to just sit there and he'd just check up, chase me each day, seeing where we're up to different things. And then obviously once we really started working, we had all the samples and we could, we could really drive it. I've got to say, you, you might make it sound simple, but the foresight to say, look, I've got this million pound advertising platform of going on TV working backwards from there to say okay if you're gonna go on tv i mean as someone who's been on it on certain shows you only have a small kind of lifespan of actually people remembering who you are and what you've done so if you don't have it prepared to go which is what you're saying scott you're never going to be able to crock it off the back of it and yeah. i think everyone these days wants to be an influencer on instagram and sell product but you got in there at the right time ross and what i love is the fact that you made that decision at the front end that you were going to use that as a vehicle to get a business going whereas a lot of people use uh reality TV show as a vehicle to try and be famous. You've used it to create your business and be known for your company. Yeah, that's, you're so right there. And I think that is a big problem again with like today's society. Like I went on TV and I wasn't fussed about being famous and I would never still, I would never class myself as say famous. Yeah. But 
it's probably slightly more well known than a lot of people. But it was, it was always the plan was to, to create a business. And it, it's like now, I, I, anyone that goes on a TV show now will message me straight away as soon as they've come out because of the brand, not because yeah. I've been on reality TV. Some of them probably don't even know anymore. It's, it's been that long. But it's kind of, you're all constantly in that circle and that, and that loop, which really does help with obviously expanding the business now as well. It's nice if to we be recognised as a businessman rather than an influencer as well, isn't it? Yeah, because I've got to say, Scott, that's um, you. You take the words out. My my biggest thing when I went on The Apprentice was how quickly can I not be known as that guy from The Apprentice who who was a bit of an idiot and a wrestler prior to that? How can I be known for my brand of my company and my space? That was my driving force from it. So um, that and and to be honest, that's what I know you guys for. It, it's the brand of your business and what you've created. That's how I know you. That's how I've come to to know you guys and enjoyed following the story and. Um, and all the assets in the past. But for, for those that might not know your brand, because there's always going to be new customers out there somewhere in the world who are interested, how would you describe your brand? I won't say sell it, but how would you position it to them to, to get them interested in your brand? I'd say it's a, a men's and women, women's commercial streetwear brand that's, I'd say, affordable luxury. As in, it's affordable prices for your 15-year-old kid that's you know I mean, got some money for his birthday or something like that but then again the quality is good enough that you'd see a young footballer wearing it so yeah. it kind of sits in a middle demographic where slightly cooler and a lot more reactive to trends and fashion than a high street brand um but also we are a brand so very do you know what I mean logo driven trend driven um seasonal colors different textures different materials Lots of stuff like that. Reason why I can wholeheartedly say I know the brand's going well. So I went yesterday, a bit of an odd story. I was trying to get my windscreen fixed in my car because it was cracked. And I had a three-hour window while it was being done. And I went into a Regis building because I had a license to Regis. I'll go and work at their business lounge. Two people walked in in front of me, both wearing one of your hoodies. And I was like, if there's <laughs> ever people I want, and, and I won't lie, I don't see it all and all the time, but it was almost like the, the stars of the line. Two people had one of your hoodies. It was a black hoodie, couture on the back. And I thought, these guys have made it because I've just sat in a random reception for a random reason and your brand is there. Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things for both myself and Scott. And for me, I get more excited when I see someone wearing it in a random place to somewhere where I expect it. It's yeah. like, we, we always say we go into the trapping centre and, and if we don't see a bag within the first five minutes, we're like, oh, what's, what's going on? Like, there's a, there's a problem. But then it's like for me, when I see people out and say they're, they're walking the dog or something like that and they've got something on and I'm just in the middle of nowhere and I don't expect it at all, I'm always like, no way. Like, it still surprises you now and I think it, it, never, it won't ever stop. If we think of the future, I know we've mentioned that, look, we're still growing the child that you guys have here. You're nurturing it and moving it forward. What does, if it's such a thing that can share the next couple of years, look like for you both? For us, massively, obviously, I'll let Scott speak because I feel like I just keep talking over everyone. <laughs> but, um, the next few years, we're massively focusing on international growth. Obviously, not going to neglect the UK in the slightest bit because it's a yeah. huge part of our business. But um, over the last, say, 12 months, we've seen a lot more um, interest in the international markets, whether it's from wholesalers or just our online sales internationally have grown a lot. So I think we'll probably start putting a bit of a marketing spend and planning a lot more on targeting certain countries and really trying to grow um, the customer base around the world, um, try and take it 
as we should say, like fully global. Obviously, we are a global yeah. brand at the moment and we sell all around the world, but, you know, really strong businesses in each country. Yeah, no, makes sense. And what about you, Scott? How would you word it? Yeah, exactly the same. I think, I think like you say, we spoke earlier about business growth and, and potentially an exit plan. I think for us, um, just the growth side of it is more than enough for us to concentrate on the next couple of years. Um, like Ross mentioned, you know, we've got the international side of things um, where <clears throat> we're really strong in certain territories, probably five territories that we've really looked to sort of expand on. And Kajoko as a business, what, what we've done so separate to all the other businesses, um, you know, the startups of late, is that we've had the traditional uh, retail stores. Um, so we've obviously had Manchester, London, Dublin, Newcastle um, on sort of a UK tour. And it'd be great to take that internationally. Uh, whether we go Germany, LA, somewhere like that, and do three to six month stints. And what we found is when we do these things, um, Newcastle and Dublin are prime examples of them. We'll go over there, um, you know, do a six to 12 month pop-up in, in, in that city. And then as soon as it's shut, the revenue just comes straight back to the online and some. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've seen really, really good results from going into certain cities. So will that and, always be the model? I mean, because you've got the traditional retail, which is almost stick shops everywhere you possibly can to try and get as many customers. But what you're doing is embedding a brand into a local culture, getting enough people to buy it and talk about it. And then when you remove from it, you drive them online. Will that continually be the focus for the business? It's an interesting one, that, mate, because pre-COVID, I would have said no. Um, but obviously with everything that's gone on, businesses that have got a little bit of strength and, and you know, good, um, good sort of uh, P&Ls, it's going to be quite easy for us to go in on, go on and do that in, in, in more shopping centres because I don't feel like, you know, we've already seen some of the damage that, that COVID's done. Yeah. So if, you, if, you, if you've got a decent set of accounts, et cetera, et cetera, um, there'd definitely be some good retail deals to, to, to have, whether they'd be percentage of turnover now instead of, you know, guaranteed rent and things like that. Yeah. Obviously, we've seen that there's no uh, rateable charges till March next year. So you never know. We, we, Birmingham's always a city that we've been looking at. Um, so you never know if there's, if there's a deal on the table to sort of go and do three months in Birmingham around, around Q4, then I don't see it being a big problem. Well, one place that I know is awesome to do it is Loughton in Essex, where I am, right? You've got all the, ta you've got all the towie lot around the corner. They'll pump that out for you left, right and centre. We did, look, we did look at Essex, didn't we, Ross? Yeah, I think we looked at Lakeside at one point. Lakeside, yeah. Obviously, yeah. we've looked across a lot of them, but it's just obviously a lot of it's to do with where your unit is inside the centre, what's available, and obviously, like Scott said, the deals. But it's quite an interesting um, story what we did with the source, because I think a lot of people found it a bit bizarre that we decided to go into the, the high street when a lot of people mm. think it was failing. For us, it was kind of we were looking at outdoor campaigns with your billboards and stuff like that now and working out obviously what it costs for the campaign that we wanted there. And we just thought a store on the high street, it'll cost the same for us to fit out the store. And in effect, we've got a billboard on the, in the busiest high street there is yeah. and you can sell from it as well. So it's kind of a no brainer more for the marketing purposes rather than necessarily just having a store to generate um, sales. So, it's been a, been a brilliant journey for us, the stores as well. I think that's probably been, when we opened the Trafford Centre, the first like the first ever store, I think that was probably one of our proudest moments, wasn't it, Scott? By, by a mile. And London, and London as well. London was like a big, big thing for us because 25% yeah. you know, of our online sales come from London and then the stress that we went through, like Trafford Centre was a doddle compared to open up London. Like the Westfields as a shopping centre to, to work with were great, but 
you have to jump through so many hurdles to get. You and know, it is Westfield Stratford, you are, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we had a, we had a little hug and a cry when when that store opened and the first customer bought bought something from Paul's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, I think from memory, I might have, it's one of the, I can imagine the retail space there is unbelievably priced in comparison. It's one of the largest shopping centres per square foot or something in Europe, right? So in terms of having a poster place to be, it's not a bad place at all. Exactly, that's it, yeah. I think you're correct to say that. I think it's one of, if not the largest shopping centre in Europe. And I know for some stores in there, um, it's some of their highest like turnover out of any of the stores in the world. So it's um, an exciting place to be at least. When you come up with the business and obviously the idea and you put the structure in, we're going to use the, the advertising opportunity TV presents. It was X on the beach, right, Ross? That's what you were on in um, which year or years? It was a couple of years, right? The first ever one. Uh, yeah. I can't actually tell you what year I did it because it was that long ago now. And then I think I came back on the sixth one. No, okay. it was about three years after the, I did the first one, but it might, they might have done two a year. I'm not too sure. Okay. But yeah, I did and the, six. And the inspiration for the name, because I get asked this a lot, people are like, I'm going to set up a business and they get so hooked up on the name. I mean, you guys particularly, it's, it's a fashion brand. So it, compared to I'm a service company, it's a bit different. But how did you land on the name of your company? Um, it's the, probably the least exciting story ever. I was just driving down the M6 and I just thought, the Couture Club. <laughs> I can actually remember I was in my car I had a little mini at the time and I was on my way to like a PA just driving I used to drive to a lot of them and then I was driving and I was just I remember being on the L6 and I think just came to me and I just thought the Couture Club and it was like I wanted the name to I did want it to be where it was like yeah. you were part of something it wasn't but it kind of just happened it wasn't there was no sort of like i'll write loads of i think i did write loads of ideas down initially and then that just came into my head when i was driving and i just thought yeah it's got everything that what's great about that is anyone I, I, the sense of community i particularly like to having club on the end the sense of belonging i, I think is smart but i think a lot of people thinking about business overcomplicate it sometimes the best ideas are even mistakes or they just come up um yeah. I, I i was always taught if, you, if you're going to name a firm make it personal and to an extent i mean the name hype in my company was my wrestling name so i'm like okay if you make it slightly personal you're going to care about that a little bit more so mine was as simple as that what's personal to me let's go and run with that you had an idea when you're driving in the mini on the m6 um are you going to come up with a kids range the mini couture club at some point <laughs> we have the kids range now it's, it's um Scott's little boy's been modelling it, so it's doing really well at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got I've got a twenty month toddler, so I'll make sure I get him on it soon when he's the right size for it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but no, you're right. The club the club element of the Couture Club is is given us so much more um, to play with. We just launched like a loyalty club, uh, obviously the club um, where customers can go online and if they spend X amount of year of us, they get different benefits. But we've also spoken about having a subscription model later down, later down the line. Um, but the, that club element of it and making people feel like they're part of something has, has been a, a massive part in the success, really. Yeah. Well, if you look at the rise of a lot of the places like in London, like Soho House, you've got all these shortage, all these places where it is that level of exclusivity, that kind of, Everyone wants to be a VIP in their own right. I like it. And if you can get some subscription model in it, you're, 
reoccurring revenues in your business value increases quite significantly. So good luck with that. And if we think of to get to where you are now, I'm going to try and make this a bit more relatable for some of our viewers, because I think your story of where you are, firstly, the fact that you're both down to earth is brilliant because you're just normal guys who've had a great idea. You've structured it, which I think is interesting. You've run with it and you've succeeded. But, but to get there, you've had to work with good people and rely on people. Um, how have you found the reliance on others? Because you love what you do. Finding people who love it as much as you, how have you found that? I think at the start, we, what we found really hard, and this is our, more ourselves rather than the people that joined the business, was letting go. Yep. Letting go of responsibility. And I think that was probably one of the hardest things for us to do. And again, criticising ourselves, I think probably when someone came in, we maybe didn't give them as much time with ourselves, like really explaining every single thing, you know, doing a really good handover, quality handover to them and explaining what we wanted and everything like that so that they'd come in and we'd almost be expecting because we've hired them to be like a lot better than us and kind of like teach us loads of things where it was more like, oh, they're not doing it our way. Oh, I'll just go and do it myself. And at the start, we really struggled with that. Whereas now got a, a lot better with it. And I think we're both like, uh, really understanding the talents and the skill sets that the people that work for us have now. So we'll go to them for a lot more. And I do think we've built the structure in place with heads of departments that can kind of pass on their knowledge down, which means that less things come from us, which is good. I think what's been quite lucky for us in terms of personnel that we brought in is the fact that, you know, we're a startup business. Manchester, Manchester is a phenomenal place for fashion in itself. Yeah. Um, when we go through interview processes, the, the eagerness for people to come to us, where it's only a small team, you know, you might be you might be the first in in a digital role where you're going to build up a team of three or four people or the first person in a merchandise role. And people come to us and you, you can tell the enthusiasm because they've been at places where they're one of 500 or one of, you know, 300. And they're coming to us and they're going, I want to be one of 25 and build it to that. And that has really, you know, in, in, this, in this last two years really given us a bit of strength because people are coming to us with huge experience looking at the position that we're in seeing that there's the growth that we could have and wanting to be part of that so you get the right level of candidates because you know that they're in it for three to five years if not longer yep. and and they've come from places before where they maybe didn't feel like there was growth for them so it's kind of like as much as we're growing as a company there's an opportunity for people to come in and grow with us which has been phenomenal really in the recruitment side of it well, if you look at your brand, your brand is a club, community. That's what you're offering people when they join you. They're, they're joining part of your internal club to be part of that community and grow. And I think the beauty of any startup, SME or small growing company is you get such a broad role. You're not sat in a box for a big, big firm of several thousand people pressing one button every single day. You get to look at all the buttons, colour them, bring them together and try different things. So it's nice that your, your brand, what you give to your customers relates to, to the guys internally. What about, I guess, from your side, Ross, if you consider you used your personal brand at the start and you, you were able to drive customers to, what you're always going to get with staff is people probably trying to hang on your coattails, either you personally or the brand of the company. How are you trying to find people who really want to help your business as opposed to just be part of the success? It's a really tough question, actually. And I suppose it's something that's probably not clear to you at the start kind of thing. I think for us... What, when we look at people that we're interviewing and things like that, we look at more on passion and worth ethic and stuff like that than actual qualifications yeah. really or anything. And it's like, what could they do 
with us, you know, like with a bit of help from different people, how good could they be rather than looking at somebody and going, all right, yeah, they've done, done well. But then yeah. it's more, it's just how much they want it and how much they want to be part of it and what their, like their vision of where they see it growing. Because it's always good to get other people's opinions on where do they see the truck or where do they see their department going? What would their aim be in, in the kind of thing? Not necessarily, right, well, we want to hire someone for this role and not even talk about anything else. It's kind of like, yeah. if you're coming into this role, what's, what's your plan? What do you want to do for the business? So it's probably knowing a lot more about the people and understanding their goals um, where they see themselves rather than just, you know, hiring a person for a role. And I think that's probably the only way you can really siphon through what could be a bad hire, really. And what's interesting about what you say, a lot of people go into a job thinking, I have to know the answers or I have to say exactly what Scott or Ross want me to say. I think what people seem to forget when we're hiring and I do the same, I'm like, I'm hiring someone that I might sit down next to for a hell of a lot of hours for a lot of weeks of a lot of months. Am I going to hire someone that just ticks a box and looks good on paper? Or I'm going to hire someone who's great in the real life and actually is going to, going to bring a personality with them. Because I guess particularly as a fashion brand, you're about personality and you need personalities with you. And people forget this time and time again, if they bring their own personality and you want to buy it, you guys can have a great journey together. If they bring you a personality they think you want to see and they get found out, it's going to be a car crash. Yeah. So it's nice that you say that. And I think a lot of people need not to be afraid to ask questions, say what they really think. And what, what you said lovely, Amir Ross, is you ask them what their vision for your company is. Not many people do that. That's a great thing because you're going to learn inspiration from them. And if you find what they've got as ambitious and drives you, again, it works. So. I guess it's the confidence and right guys we're going to take a very very quick break uh, we're all going to quickly grab a coffee or a drink for those of us that don't drink coffee um, in the meanwhile, I just wanted to remind you, make sure you go over to the Recruiter Ricky website, recruiterricky.com. There are lots of videos which are designed to help people be more confident with interviewing, designed to give you some top tips on writing a CV and how to land that perfect job. So this podcast, I mean, the guys, Ross and Scott, I mean, they've got an incredible story and they're so down to earth and hopefully give you comfort that if you're looking for a job, there are good employers out there where they want it to work for you as much as you want it to work for you. So go and check out the rest of my content. We're going to go back over to the podcast now. We are still in lockdown. That's why we're not all together. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, guys. I will speak to you shortly. What about you, Scott? When you're interviewing people thinking, are they going to catapult us to the next stage? What do you want to see other than just the passion and interest and ambition? So something what Ross just mentioned then about, you know, asking them their opinion before we obviously we'll go through an interview process the first process might be a 20 minute phone call uh, i'll always introduce myself and then and then follow them up and ask them to come in but what we always do is we ask them to bring feedback whether on whatever the role might be so if it was a creative role or if it was digital role we ask them to you know no holds barred come back with your feedback present to us what you would do if you came to this business and what you think about it and if we're doing something terrible tell us we're doing it terrible if we're doing something good and we should be doing more of it tell us and so the interview process kind of becomes like a market research day because yeah. for us you know do it you know and we've been known to do 20 interviews back to back for, for 10 hours which might be you know every md's nightmare but for me it's the best day we could ever have because people are coming to us 
you know, we can only give a job to one. So fair enough, these guys have done an hour's work. But if they're gonna, they're gonna want to move on in life. That's that's so be it. Do you know what I mean? But for us to then sit down with twenty people that have all got their own ideas, their own visions, and their own feedback on what we're doing, it's the best thing in the world. And then going back to the personality, the personality side of it. So we predominantly were probably a business of um, under, you know, eighty percent people under the age of twenty-five. And yeah. then we needed to make this big call and bring in an FD um, that might have been a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. And then you, you're worried about, you know, the office sort of being quite relaxed and an FD coming in and being super, you know, efficient and strict and stuff like that. And then you've got the creative people in, in, in the role that might, you know, have the TV on in the background at the office, but they're creating, so it's, it's okay. And then you've got the FDs that are like looking yeah. at numbers all day on Excel. So that next part where we started to try and merge the youngness with the experience was probably the most difficult part. Um, but it's all about the right personalities for the office, isn't it? So we made a couple of mistakes on that journey. We hired a couple of people that weren't, you know, they were great on paper. Experience was fantastic, but they just didn't sit in the office. And it fit well that's another key point it's like you said as well as them gelling with us and like like you said before Ricky about you've got to sit next to them it could be for long periods of time it's like you've got to know your own team as well and know what will fit with your own team and where the possible clashes might be with people that they're working with at that stage so it's um you're 100% right and people just have to be be real and, and be personable I suppose I, and never try and change and give answers that you think people would want because like you said you just get found out straight away and it's I think one thing that we, we learn in business if someone's not right you've got to react fast it's not like a yeah. case of being too proud like oh we hired them we've kind of got to it's just it's sometimes that's how it is isn't it I think people people out there are realistic to that isn't it? I don't think that job for life market is necessarily true these days people move between roles to build skill sets to be a better person in the long run so when people are hired, every employer thinks this is the right person. I want to make it work as the employee or thinking this could be the right job for me. But there has to be checkpoints where you're both realistic about it, because if you're not benefiting either, what's the point? And um, businesses should react fast. And that's the beauty of a young, growing, agile company. You can react fast and staff will always do the same. Right. We're in a market where I think is the employer. People are always looking for a reason to say why things could be better and why they all need to infinitely work from home and never do any hours and have ultimate access to social media. You've got perception of people in the workforce. And Scott, one thing I thought interesting, you said a moment ago, you said, look, every MD's nightmare could be interviewing 20 people back to back. And you are right. It's a lot of time invested, but it's great to see you guys see that as a good investment of time. And I think for anyone going into an interview to remind themselves, they could be the 20th person that you've seen back to back and if they come in and they're not positive and they're not enthusiastic and loving your brand you're already weathered from 20 back to back interviews you want them to inspire you right so people go in and be the best person they can be in that interview to, to inspire them to be hired would that be a fair comment you'd agree with we've had people walk into the interview room and we knew that was the person before they even said a word honestly yeah because it's 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 there's so much more than what's on the cv isn't it and and, and like it, personality for us especially in a fashion in a fashion business it's like it's 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 everything so we've had people come in and you, you can tell straight away that they they just need the money or they just look they just want to um they, they just got to put especially like in customer service roles and things like that where you know customer service role might not be the most exciting role in the world but if somebody comes in to a customer service role and they're enthusiastic about the role you just know straight away it's somebody that's actually cares and wants to do something for you for your business rather than somebody that's just coming in because they've got a mortgage to pay for. Do you know what I mean? I think from my side as well is 
I've I've never written a CV. Like I've I've never I've probably not got any real good qualification. I'm good at art, yeah. good at design, I'm good at driving cars, but um, other than that, really, I haven't got anything. So for oh. me, I don't really judge anyone off a, a CV just because of that. Because yeah. I think, like, if I went in anywhere, I, for one, I probably wouldn't be able to write an amazing CV. Yeah. So even if I did have the, the perfect credentials from before, it's like how to get that across. I've, all I've got where he's from, who I am and ha- how I am and what I will do for people and, and stuff like that. So especially from that side of things and from my background, I always just try and just gel with the people and see how, how they work. Yeah, with that in mind, Ross, because I'm a believer you hire people, you don't hire the CV. And that's ultimately what you're saying. But let's say you're advertising whatever the role is and you do get 10 CVs in front of you. And you, it's nice that you appreciate there's a person behind it and when you see them in interview. But you might not interview 10, you might interview five. What do you want to see on the CV to get that 10 down to five to meet them? What, what needs to jump out to you? On an actual CV, it's a tough one, really. I I often have it where I look for a CV and I get really excited and I think, oh my God, they're going to be one. And sometimes, like the odd occasion, you might be like, oh, I'm gutted because I thought they were the one, you know, from looking at the yeah. CV. I think what it is, is for me, I only know what stands out when I, when I put them all next to each other and it's say, how long they've been at a job for. Quite if yeah. they're quite young, I don't expect to stay there for a long time, but anyone that's moving too quick, I, I always think, hmm how quickly you're going to move stay here like it's a reason why they've moved too quick so I'll obviously do a bit of research um skill sets and it's like obviously once it comes to the stage of interviewing it's whether they want to upgrade their skill set yeah. so they're happy with what they are um that's the other thing it's like for us the say for example it was a CV, it was a it was a role where there was a specific skill set where they might need to do um online Google marketing, right? For, for me, if, if we're employing that role and the personality's there, the person hasn't got that CV, we'd either train them up so they've, so they've, so they've got the qualification in-house or out-house because the personality much further outweighs the, you know, the, the, the skill set really because somebody's going to come into you and they're willing to learn and they're willing to develop themselves, then again, it's, it's, it's another sign and they want to grow with you. So important with that because I agree in everything you're saying fundamentally and the CV isn't truly representative the person always is but when you have to make that crude assessment on paper are you looking for if I use your example Ross you say you like driving cars and that's one of the things you enjoy doing um, are you jumping to hobbies and interests and think what what excites that person are you looking in those sections to get some, some nuggets? you know what? I always look at that and I, and like, I always look at because again, we're a fashion company and our customer base is still quite young. You're 18 to probably your 30s, your true demographic. I always look like if they go out, if they like going out, because that's very relevant to our kind of clothing. What's yeah. out, what are people wearing in the nightclubs these days? What are people wearing in the, the hot spots these days? It's like where they like to go on holidays, like the places they like to go, little things just to get a sense of. So I do look at all that. And for me, that's yeah. probably quite important as well, because that tells me a lot more about how suited they are to the brand without even meeting the person. It's kind of like, right, they tick all these boxes. That means I, n- I kind of have an outline of that person before they've even walked in. And then when they come in, it's, they can change that. That, that always happens. Yeah. But I do, I look at everything. So whether it's so where they've been before, I look at obviously the, how qualified they are in the aspects of their role and how much they've done it in previous jobs. Cause obviously they can 
they couldn't have five jobs on there, but they might not have used yeah. half the skill sets in them jobs. So I look at how often they've used the skill sets, what sort of hobbies, where they like to go, what they like to do. And yeah, so I do actually look through them all, to be fair. It's nice to look through them as well, just so you, you, you can see if you've got a common, you know, icebreaker yeah. when, when the interview process starts. So I often look at things and if they're a runner, I might talk to them about running for the first five minutes just yeah. to get that comfortability factor in, the, in, 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 in it or if they like football or where they went to university, I went to Leeds, you know, what did you think? Did you go to this pub, et cetera, et cetera. It's nice to look at it from a perspective of, right, okay, you know, you've got two or three things that you might have in common that might make them feel a little bit more comfortable in the first 10 minutes of the interview. And I ask that for those reasons. I think a lot of people think it's a throwaway section of the CV. Um, they seem to, I think it's the best chance to talk to the person who might be hiring. The first person I ever put into a job for what I did was a triathlete and wrote about it. What I didn't realize is the manager interviewed them was also a triathlete. So dare I say, the job had been closed probably before they got together because they had that common interest. Yeah. I mean, if someone comes to me, not that I've got anything against birdwatching, if you guys are birdwatchers <laughs> in, the, in the actual, in the true sense of the term, if someone writes that on their CV to work for me, I'm going to think, I don't know how much we have in common here. Yes. So you do need to consider, use it as a chance to sell yourself to the person that you're trying to work with. Um, yeah. But, um, okay, cool. If there were other small bits of advice you had for people, because you guys had an idea, came together, stayed aligned, grown it, global brand, it's going places and continually to go places. What extra bits of advice would you give to someone, whether they want to set up a business or just get themselves employed? Um, I always give the advice, and this is probably because it's, it's how we actually got started. It's, it's kind of like, if, if you're really struggling finding a job or anything like that, look at what job you can create whether it's even if it's a background, whether it's a hobby that can make you a little bit of income on the side, always look at things like that because it's fun. Um, I think confidence, I think, is the is the biggest thing. Having the confidence and self belief that you're you're going to succeed. I think positive. You know, Conor McGregor speaks about it quite a lot, but positive yeah. mindset and 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 you know, believing things that are going to happen and then they actually do happen. I, me and Ross both live our lives exactly like that. It's like, well, you know. Back in the day when we when we didn't think we could hit a certain amount of turnover, you know, we believed it, we did it, and then you move on and you set your new goals. And I yeah. think for an employee going into an interview, you know, believing that, you know, having the confidence that they are, you know, it's written in the stars for them, they're going to get this job. Um, even if they don't get it, they're going to have such a better interview. Do you know what I mean? Because they're just going to have that confidence going into it, going into it. And I think on, on to the interview thing as well, what I, one thing that I really like when people come into an interview is, is when they talk a little bit about themselves, like whether it might be, oh, I'm, I've actually started doing this at, as like a, a new business. It, like it's just at the very start stage or whatever. And it's like, you know, they've got um, a bit more of an interest, yeah. stuff like that. So it's, it's good that um, they're actually talking to you, you know, about something else other than the actual work that you're doing. But it instantly makes them a bit more comfortable because you're talking on something you're excited about as opposed to thinking you're going to be tested against a maths algebra exam that no one's done for 50 years. You're actually talking about something you really enjoy. And Scott, I love the power of positivity. I absolutely agree. If someone can't come into my business and show me some positivity, how am I going to back them? Because yeah. if they don't back themselves, how am I going to back them? From the, and how are my customers going to back them as well? So showing that, even if there are occasions where you can learn that through speaking to others and preparing before, is, is really useful. So any last things that are worth sharing on your organisation, the future, what you're doing, any last bits of information I think people would love to hear? 
never be scared to make a mistake. We spoke about it a few times, but like yeah. every mistake that we've made in the business, whether it was year one, two, three, four, or five, and there was mistakes every year. The, the, the next year we eradicated them straight away. So we, we have a business coach and, and you know, um, one of our monthly homeworks this, 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 uh, for t- this session that we've got today was um, how do we cut out, we have what we call a bogey. So how do we cut out our bogeys? So what mistakes did we make this time last year that we can eradicate this year? And it's one of the best things that you can do because constantly you're evolving, constantly you're looking at back at whether, and mistakes might not always mean massive dramatic mistakes, but it might be that you didn't buy enough of a t-shirt and it sold out in two weeks and yeah. you're really annoyed because you should have had it for six weeks. So it's, it's looking at, you know, pre, always constantly looking on last year's figures and last year's data and seeing what, what could be improved. I, think that's no, I like that a lot. And yourself, Ross? Same kind of thing. It's like what we've started doing now is from each department as well, not just, um, say, from from us, but just doing a lot of SWOT analysis, like a monthly one. So even when it goes down to any any misses on that stage, and it's kind of, it gets put in the diary then, and then that's when we come to the year later, we're looking at everything and we know exactly where we are months in a, before it's going to happen. Like, that's what we missed out there. Let's really make sure that we've backed that this year rather than letting it slip through. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Scott, right now, while you're thinking, I'm sure you'd happily take a double bogey on the golf course, though, when you're at the oh, beginning mate, of it, right? That, yeah. <laughs> you can't cut that one out. Especially after last night's performance, mate. Honestly, <laughs> it really threw my irons away. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay, well, guys, uh, your story is inspirational. I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to speak to you. We, we're going to do our quick fire session in the moment, which we always put on the back end of the podcast. But thank you very much. I'm delighted in five years you've taken a creative idea. You've been smart with it. You've grown it to a global brand and it has all the opportunities to keep on going. So um, keep it going. Thank you for sharing. And I think there's lots of people who are going to take some of what I think is very honest feedback and will really help them in the future. So thanks, guys. And good luck with everything you're doing. No, thank you. Thank you. Cool. Thanks so much, chaps. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. That was the main interview. That's now concluded. But I wanted to leave you with something additional. Every guest that I interview, I ask them quickfire questions. These are questions to look at a CV, to look at what they look for during an interview, to understand how a candidate more successfully onboards into a company. What I don't do is make it easy for my guests. These are quickfire questions gut reaction quickest response is the most honest response hopefully in doing so we're going to unearth some nuggets of information that are going to help you to more successfully get hired enjoy so it's the part of the podcast now where we have our quick fire interview questions 20 of my top questions for my guests this is the first time we've got co-founders together so what we're going to do this time is ask a question to each person on one after the other so ross and scott just some rules to let you know i'm going to fire a question at you I want your quickest, most honest gut response, and I'd like it to be short and concise. Go on too long, I'll say we'll move on. If you don't like the question, you can say pass, and we'll move on to the next one. Um, Great people don't pass. I'm just going to put you under some pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, definitely should have had an energy treat before we've done this thing. (laughs) So I'll start with Ross. Tell me when you guys are ready, and I'll get cracking. Right, I'm ready. What does the word entrepreneur mean to you? Uh, relentless 24 7 lifestyle adapting to any problems that happen and more passion than anyone else never give up Scott, when you prepare for any big meeting or pitch what 
question do you ask yourself beforehand? That's a really hard one. <laughs> oh, he's going to pass on the <laughs> first one. He's passed the last question. It's put me off massively. Right. Uh, over to Ross. Ross has got an answer. I just put, what do I want out of this meeting? What, like I, what it. I want. Back to you, Ross, because Scott passed that one. Um, what characteristics in a person do you look for when hiring? Worth ethic, passion, happy, positive. Um, whoever wants it the most. Cool. Scott, what advice would you give to somebody when they're considering hiring a person off the back of the CV being perfect, but the interview being terrible? Don't do it. Stay away. Ross, what's been your biggest mistake when hiring? Let Scott do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You threw me then as well. Um, Scott, what's the first thing you look for when reading a CV? Personality. Personality can still show through a CV. That's the biggest mistake most people make. Ross, what engages you to read the entire CV? Hobbies, passions, and obviously if you've had exciting jobs. Scott, what's the best way to leave a lasting impression after reading a CV? Just make sure that it's fun, leave a nice comment and, and not be too serious all the way through the whole CV. Cool. Ross, what's the one bit of advice you'd give to somebody writing their CV tonight to apply to a job tomorrow? Um, be truthful, put everything in there. Give, try and give as much of your personality through the paper as you can. And Perfect. don't skip anything. Scott, what's the worst thing you've seen in a CV? Um, somebody actually put they were unpunctual. <laughs> um, Ross, what's the thing most people seem to leave off their CV? I'll nick that one. It's hobbies. Nobody puts hobbies in. There we are. You've got it. And back to you for one in ten. Back to you for the next question, Scott. What's the most annoying thing you've seen on a CV? Uh, I, I really, really biggest bugbear is when it's not laid out properly and it's just mishmash. Cool. Ross, what's the first thing you look for for somebody when they enter an interview with you? Smile. Be smile happy how positive they are. Um, obviously, everyone has nerves, but just be as, as enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Enjoy the moment that you're in because it could be the future. Agreed. Scott, what engages you to continue listening throughout the whole interview? People's personality. Again, I, I, I don't like people speaking on a monotone. I don't like people, um, you know, being nervous. There'll never be an interview with me where I'll make somebody feel nervous. I try and get that out in the first five minutes. So I don't, I don't take for nerves. It's the first five minutes. If after that, if you're still nervous, see you later. Perfect. Ross, what's the best way at the end of an interview someone can leave a lasting impression? It depends how good they've done. If they've had a really positive interview and they know they've had a positive interview, like a little funny remark when they're leaving, that like, always makes us laugh and kind of probably we get that banter. So something like that. But you know if you've had a good interview or not, I feel. So all it works if you've had a good one. Scott, what's the one bit of advice you'd give to somebody preparing this evening for an interview tomorrow? Dress smart, be on time. Have a smile on your face. Ross, what's the one question people struggle with most in an interview? When you ask them, do you go out much? In a job like ours, obviously it's quite important to be out and about on the scene, but people think it's a trick question and kind of like, no, no. But, and then back <laughs> themselves, but you're like, no dear, like, do you party? Where do you go? What do you do? They think it's not important, but for a brand like us, it's very yeah. important. 
knowing your audience certainly helps. Scott, what's the worst thing somebody's done in front of you during an interview? Um, I'm sure I've had somebody burp in front of me in an interview with a <laughs> bottle of water that just gave them on the way in. Love it. Ross, what's the most annoying thing somebody's done during an interview? Not turn up. Not turn up. Agreed. Last question. I'll ask you both, and I'm going to go Scott first because Ross, you answer the last. Scott, what's your killer interview question? Um, why have you come for this role? Like it. Ross, you've had time to think. What's your killer interview question? What does this role mean to you? Love it. Brilliant. Thanks, chaps. Really enjoyed that. We got there in the end. Scott bottled the first question. That's what I'll remember. <laughs> this Ross completely nailed it and it's through me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quickfire questions. You've already heard the podcast. So the last thing for me to ask is, can you please subscribe to the channel? And more importantly, could you leave me a review? The best thing about reading reviews, not only are the positive and kind comments, but most importantly, hearing how you've actually been able to use this advice to get yourself hired. So thank you. Subscribe. Review. Good luck.